The Inland Empire of Washington State is an exciting place to be. Hammers are swinging, cranes are craning, machines are buzzing, robots are learning, and the region is full of life. Welcome to the Irons in the Fire podcast, a show exploring the many exciting and innovative businesses that drive and promote our local economy here in Spokane, Washington, and beyond. So lean in, because you're going to hear some valuable and behind-the-scenes insights from some of the area's top manufacturing companies, aerospace companies, and some of the best business minds in the region. Together, we're putting more irons in the fire. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Irons in the Fire podcast. I'm your host, James Krejci, and I'm out here in Liberty Lake, Washington at the headquarters of Altec, Inc. I feel like my IQ increased when I drove into city limits here. There's a ton of brain power out here and a lot of great things happening, so I'm excited to be sitting down with today's guest, President of Altec, Mike Marzetta. Altec is a premier company here in the Spokane region, specializing in innovative manufacturing solutions, including injection mold tooling, plastic injection molding, precision machining, and much, much more. Before we get started, Mike, I have a quick story. So I used to live here in Liberty Lake myself, and I first met your dad, Al, when he knocked on my door one morning to inform me that he'd backed into my fence. <laughs> he lived diagonally across the alley from uh, my wife and I, and he was super friendly and gracious about the whole thing. And I came away from that thinking, man, I wish more people like that would run into my fence. <laughs> so that was my original in- introduction to your dad and to Altec. And Mike, thanks for joining me today on Virons in the Fire. You're welcome. Thanks, James. So Mike, do you live here in Liberty Lake? Yeah. And what's your favorite part about this area? My uh, bunch of favorite parts. The closeness to work is, is handy and I can be... Uh, well, basically, it's a five-minute drive, and I'm kind of out in the woods and, you know, in, uh, in nature with deer and turkey and porcupines and stuff, and I can turn around six minutes later be at work. That's, that's probably the best part. Nice. Those <laughs> so. are some good perks, for sure. <laughs> when you're not running Altec and busy here at the company, what's, what are your main hobbies and interests? One of my main hobbies is uh, my, uh, kind of a uh, startup, uh, not so much a startup anymore, but uh, uh, my mind's eye uh, robotics education company, sort of uh, kind of a super locking Legos on steroids. You know, we can make uh, self-driving cars, robot arms, flying drones and vehicles, you name it. Uh, and so I'm not sure as of yet whether to completely categorize that as a business or a hobby, but that, that, that's kind of the secret to life, of course, is just to have blurry lines and enjoy what you're yeah. doing and uh, get paid for what you're doing, and uh, then you never have to work again. Exactly. And you've got a <laughs> hobby that makes money. That's what everyone's going for. <laughs> so I've been reading a little bit about the, the company Mind's Eye. What originally sparked the idea? I'll try. It's it's a lot of things. Well, my my primarily my wife and I, Christy, uh, were kind of both kind of having a midlife crisis. She's uh, at the time was self-employed, uh, owner an insurance agency, and doing fairly well. And I'm self-employed and doing okay. And we were like, man, you know what? We should we do with the rest of our lives? We kind of have a lot of resources and. Etc. Etc. And so uh, we kind of, after a long time of 
contemplating, I guess, our core values. We came up with just a motto of make a difference and have fun doing it. And so it's kind of been the benchmark in my life where I've kind of measure every decision against now. And so beyond that, we started coming to thinking up of ideas of things we could start from nonprofits to non-lethal weaponry and all kinds of stuff like that. And kind of mind's eye came to the surface and be like, what makes a difference with kids and stuff like that? And sure is fun. <laughs> uh, we can utilize uh, and uh, uh, collaborate win- in a win-win way with uh, Altec. And uh, wow, sounds how's all the great ingredients. And I've always been a hobby robotics fan and used to glue my Legos and stuff. So it's kind of just a natural fit. Nice, nice. <laughs> That's awesome. So there's some partnerships and collaboration with Altec as well. How Talk about that. Um... Well, we got some pretty. We're we're on location here at Altec, and we got some pretty neat stuff we do. So, like, you know, don't tell anybody. But you know, so abs, uh, Altec, you know, accumulates pretty good large sum of obsolete material per year that would okay. basically kind of normally go into ground fills, or maybe a reprocessor we could sell at five cents on the dollar for just its chemical properties. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mind's Eye attempts to consume all that. And we get a pretty good price for it because that would normally have gone on the garbage can. Sure. And, um, you know, I've got uh, my on the mind's eye side, I've got uh, uh, product designers and mechanical engineers and stuff, which uh, uh, coders, stuff like that, uh, computer scientists that kind of often help get involved in Altec projects. When an Altec project goes over and above kind of our mechanical area of expertise and gets into the electrical engineering and computer coding and stuff and uh, it's it's a pretty cool win-win relationship that's great and then you guys are doing a a bit of work and targeting some of your curriculum at various schools around the nation and even internationally am i correct very slowly uh but we're uh very patient we like to crawl and we like to walk and then we like to run and Mm -hmm. then we like to fly (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, it's all about putting out a good product and took a while to kind of really understand the education market. And, um, it's been a long haul kind of dethroning folks like, uh, Lego or Vex or something like that, that I would kind of equate to like a McDonald's and Burger King that have just kind of been there forever, but aren't necessarily up to speed on today's technologies and trends and you know we want to be the subway that you know pulls up shop next to them and offers a healthier uh alternative sure and uh but it takes a while to change perceptions uh particularly when you know people are just used to driving through that mcdonald's drive through oh absolutely (laughs) (laughs) so uh (laughs) So if people want to find out more about Mind's Eye, where is the best place to do that? Um, If you go to our our website, which is, uh, you can find at Mind's Eye Robotics, M-I-N-D-S-I Robotics, or Mind's Eye Education, which is M-I-N-D-S-I Education.com, then pop up on our website, and we've got uh, uh, dealers in every state, in the union and so you can go to the map and click on your state and it'll tell you exactly who to call 
and they'll come by, we'll give you a demo, and et cetera, et cetera. Awesome. Well, you heard it, folks, how to find out more about Mind's Eye. Go out there and check it out. Let's, let's shift a little bit to the Altec company itself. So your father was the founder of Altec in 1980, am I correct there? Yes. And what did the, the company originally do? Is it doing the same thing that it is today? What was the original goal of the company? The company actually started in our garage a few years before that under a different name with a partner, but essentially the same, kind of evolved into the same company. But back then it was really just about uh, making molds and dyes because that's all probably they could fit in our garage. And, uh, <laughs> you know, at the time, uh, you know, I think my dad bootstrapped and borrowed some money to buy like one bridge port and a grinder and an EDM machine or whatever so they could mm -hmm. make molds. And, you know, it was just a little teeny startup, uh, mostly because uh, uh, my dad uh, was a tool maker and uh, uh, it was, they wound up in Spokane and it was hard to find work here. So he was driving to Oregon for work. And so he's like, eh, I'll just start my own place. So Nice. Yeah. Well, some great companies have started in garages, you know? Yeah. Most <laughs> How, of the good ones. Exactly. <laughs> so, How has the company evolved since it was founded in 1980? We've always been customer focused mm -hmm. and we do a, a wide variety of technologies and kind of, I don't know if it was an official motto back then, but it's kind of somewhat of an official informal motto now is that if a customer has something that other people are afraid of doing, they don't want to do it or, or can't do it or both, then we get really interested. And even back in the olden days, I think that was my dad's niche from day one is I remember some of the original projects that he got. It was you know, going in, not talking to the buyer, talking to the engineer, and them going, I can't figure out how to do this. And go, let me take a shot at it. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, put some sweat equity in and they figured it out. And they were like, here, here's some more business, you know. And that piece uh, carries us through to this day and differentiates you from, uh, you know, garage shops, right? Uh, offshore, Mexico, et cetera, et cetera, because you're specializing specifically on things that other people would rather not do mm -hmm. and therefore you could probably make a decent margin at it if you're good nice, nice. <laughs> you know is uh, is your dad still involved in the company at all or has he had stepped back into retirement i don't think entrepreneurs ever retire <laughs> uh he's chairman of the board and uh you know likes to watch the numbers and make mm -hmm. sure everything's running like a top and thankfully Things have been good for a while, so mm -hmm. uh, um, everybody's happy right now, you know, yeah. for the time being, but, you know, <laughs> what goes up goes down, so. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we were walking through the shop, I noticed a lot of automation. You've got a bunch of machines there that have automated probably what started out as a manual process at some point in time. What was it like getting the company to adopt automation and go through that process? Mandatory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it was like mandatoriness. You yeah. know, there was a certain point, um, sort of like 3D printing is today, maybe not quite there yet. Um, but there's a certain point where you either evolve or go extinct. Mm -hmm. And um, if all your competitors are doing it and you choose not to, 
and they've got a significant cost advantage over you. Um, it'd be nice if customers were loyal enough to pay more for our product than somebody else's because we chose not to automate, but they don't, they won't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so you just have to be competitive. And to the degree that you want to stay on the leading edge, you have to be more automated than the guy down the road to gain a cost advantage and a competitive advantage. And automation tends to be produce higher quality too because of its precision if it's maintained right so you know sure. all the above kind of allows us to do the type of precision work that we do nice so as we were walking through the hall we looked at some of the kpis that you've got on the wall there and a lot of that kind of revolves around continuous improvement i would imagine what are your thoughts and approach on continuously improving the the processes of altec yes <laughs> yeah, it kind of goes hand in hand with the previous statement. I mean, automation is just kind of one subcomponent of continuous improvement. You've got to mm -hmm. be continuously improving. I mean, continuous improvement is kind of a catchphrase. So I would just like to say, you know, me as an individual, I better be smarter next year than I am this year. And the year after that, I'd be better be smarter than I was next year. Mm -hmm. And my automation system needs to be better next year than it is this year. It needs to be better the year after. And my costing system needs to be better next year than it is this year. And across the board, every single element and aspect of the organization needs to be a little bit better next year than it was this year. And the year after, a little bit better than that. And, um, I mean, in my opinion, the only way to really drive that in an organization like this is through the culture. You have to have a culture where everybody, single individual, is tuned in to making things better, primarily themselves, mm -hmm. uh, uh, than they were yesterday. You know, sure. And we try to foster that environment in some highly creative ways to bring the very best out of people right and the fact that you're tracking those KPIs closely in the metrics uh, shows that you have a framework around continuous improvement so that's that's awesome what advice do you have for companies who don't have any kind of framework in place for revisiting processes how would they get to a place like you guys have gotten here Wow depending on what industry and things like that but I'd say uh, you know you got to kind of really start with the culture and if, uh, you know, I poll, have an interview with 25 people at various levels of the organization from various departments and levels from top to bottom, and I can easily pick out if people's mindset is uh, protective to the status quo or proactive toward being better tomorrow than I was today. And, and that's, mm -hmm. uh, it's... Um, that's where I'd start. And if your 25 people aren't slanting toward proactive, continuous improvement in their personalities, in their daily lives, and their daily work lives, then you're not doing continuous improvement. Right. Do you ever get the chance to chat with other presidents of companies or CEOs and just kind of bounce ideas off of each other? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, yeah, I am uh, uh, one of the members of the board for the Inland Northwest Aerospace Consortium, and it's a pretty cool group where we have uh, a lot of um, owners and presidents on the, the board of directors and in the group that uh, we get to interact with and 
share best practices with, and I can give you a hundred examples of kind of how we've shared press practices and vice versa. But uh, needless to say, it's really handy to just call up your friend and go, hey, you guys thought through uh, this new AS9100 clause around? Like, yeah, let me email you, that. I'll email you that over. How about... How do you do on the training thing? Oh, I got one of those. Let me email you that. Yeah. You know, and uh, and just, you know, big decisions like, wow, how are you guys going to deal with this uh, medical insurance thing? Bang, you know, and, you know, so, yeah, it's very valuable. Nice. That sounds like a great group and a great opportunity. Just to shift gears a little bit here, I imagine that your role with the company has changed over the years. So at, when you started to assume the role of president of the company, I imagine there were managers and, and other people who had maybe been here longer than you. So how did you start, you know, gaining trust, showing them that you deserve respect and that your ideas should be implemented? <laughs> well, I could give you the right answer that I should have done. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm not sure I did it completely right based on what I know now, but I probably didn't do it so wrong as to uh, affect my performance in latter years. Let's just mm-hmm. put it that way. But um, generally speaking, you know, in, in order to get respect, you give respect first. And I don't know if people think about it consciously or subconsciously, but, you know, giving respect is listening and sincerely listening and, and, you know, absorbing and admiring what that person has to say. Right. And they kind of just go through an equation subconsciously, I think, that kind of goes sounds something like, wow, that guy really listened to me. He must be smart to sit there and listen to me for that long and absorb all that information. I like and respect him because <laughs> he must have it on the ball if he knows to listen to me. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure if that's exactly how it plays out, but you give respect and then you get it in return, uh, in my opinion. I like that. That's a good approach. Did, did you ever get pushback? I imagine you did on implementing an idea. And then how did you handle that yeah there's about a million stories that the one i could probably (laughs) think of the one that sticks out in my mind the the most is uh about 10 years ago a decade ago kind of our decision to go into aerospace and uh we had been studying the markets for quite a while that's my job Mm -hmm. and kind of reading the tea leaves and seeing that things are migrating to Mexico and East Asia and other places like that. The easy stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we were doing a lot of easy stuff at the time. And uh, I didn't like um, the risk that being so loaded up with easy stuff to manufacture put us in. And so now convincing the board and the managers and the leaders of the organization and all, you know, 180, 200 plus employees to shift from making easy stuff to jumping through all these hoops to get aerospace AS9100 certified mm-hmm. and all these other things is not something that anybody wants to do. <laughs> and and it was and I was kind of overcoming a cultural block that um, had been planted really early and, and it was just kind of there was an attitude 
company-wide that says we don't do business for Boeing you know and so as fighting that and it's like and so and basically the logic kind of went something like this again is like okay okay everybody I I understand we don't do business for Boeing and why don't we do business for Boeing <laughs> and, and by the way it's not just Boeing everybody says Boeing to simplify it but it's all the subcontractors tier ones two twos through threes you know mm-hmm. uh, we serve them all um, and then their response would be like something like, well, because it's hard and it's a pain in the butt. And I'd be like, hmm, that sounds a lot like our manufacturing strategy in terms of don't we specifically go after pieces of business that are very hard to do that others can't do mm-hmm. from a, a technology and manufacturing standpoint? Like, uh, yeah, I guess you got a point there. And it's like, okay, so now if we've got a quality system in a highly regulated industry that also has very hard to do work in it. It's already a good fit because it's got hard work, but now we just get the difficult regulation stuff out of the way that nobody Mm -hmm. else wants to do. And I would say for the same reason that you give me around not wanting to do business with Boeing and aerospace because it's a pain in the ass, I'm gonna turn right back around and say, we do want to do business with Boeing in the aerospace industry because it's a pain in the ass. (laughs) And so, and that was was about a three-year, two-year argument with, gotcha. you know, Mike and, you know, probably my vice president of sales versus 198 other people. <laughs> <laughs> and, Congratulations uh, for surviving that. We slowly wore them down and it was just sticking <laughs> yeah. to the argument. No, 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 you got it wrong. We do, we want to do it because it's hard. And they're like, oh, oh yeah, that's right. I got, oh, what? Oh, Okay. <laughs> Because all the easy stuff's going to the garage shops, Mexico, and China, yeah. just like it did. And we're sitting pretty good right now. We've, uh, we were probably, 10 years ago, we were probably 80% what I would call commodity business, which is easy stuff, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. And we're probably 80% uh, high complexity, high risk high tolerance product now, highly regulated product, whether it's medical or aerospace that, you know, usually when the medical companies and the aerospace get something set and there's no quality problems and you're meeting their cost objectives, they just, they don't want to mess with it. They just, they got other fish yeah. to fry, you know, and so Absolutely. you just keep doing good quality and they'll stick with you. Uh, and you do get cost pressure, but not to the degree in the commodity markets where You'll have somebody from Mexico come in with a bit of half or something like that. And you're just like, yeah, I take it. You know, <laughs> I don't want to take $10 to every part. Exactly. Man, that's a great story. Your, your Starbucks double shot must have kicked in right in the middle oh, of that. Oh, there that was, it is. Yep. That was great. <laughs> but there's a lot of those, but that's probably the biggest one that, you know, was fought over. Not fought, but took a while to get everybody on board and it's something that you have to have everybody on board because these mm-hmm. regulatory systems like AS9100 literally affect every single person in the organization in some way mm-hmm. in the way that their work habits are performed or anything it's just very deep that's a cool story I like that transformation so let's pretend, I think you'll like this, Mike. Let's pretend we have access to a time machine. And knowing you, let's just say you built that time machine. Of course. And Apparently. that allows us to fast forward to 2028, 20, 10 years from now. And you and I are walking in the front doors of Altec for a tour. Let's roll the tape on what the company looks like 
what kinds of things have changed? How is how's how are things different? Um, I can't describe it to you, but I can describe what it feels like. It feels like we're taking good care of our customers. It feels like we're continuing to take on challenging products from more and more customers and uh, um, meeting their needs and evolving to their needs and hopefully some growth comes from that. We do know that uh, where we're going requires more and more higher skilled labor like we were just talking about. You no longer Mm -hmm. can really get by with a CNC mill machinist and a CNC lathe machinist because like these machines that they're making today are like hybrids of two lathes and a five axis mill and I mean, what is it you know you can't mm-hmm. and uh, knowledge uh, building our people's knowledge and helping them to earn more and have a better life of course is a big piece of it and uh, and of course having fun and making a difference and uh, as long as we're having fun and making a difference uh, uh, then uh, we're probably on the right track. If it stops being fun or if we stop making a difference and we're in it for the wrong reasons, and then, you know, that's not where I want to be. So, sure. Kind of a vague answer, but uh, open to all possibilities of nice growth. And then maybe you'll be mass producing the time machine by that point, too, if you yeah, get it yeah. dialed in. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll probably want we'll to covet that for a while. <laughs> Let's pretend for a moment that we're going through all these these transformations now. So let's pretend for a moment that you're an employee on the manufacturing floor here at Altec and you've worked here 30 years or so. What has kept you here this long? <laughs> it's funny. We have a lot of those people. You know, I'd like to, I do talk to some of those people that have been here for a while and they can't exactly describe to you what's kept them here because we do have a lot of really long time employees. I think our average employee it was like over 11 years or something like wow. that, just average. And mm-hmm. uh, um, But, you know, we, um, well, I mean, if I was to sum it up, I'd just say we spend a lot of time nurturing and building our culture in a very purposeful way, uh, not by putting posters on the wall, although we do have posters on the wall, mm-hmm. uh, around um, treating each other with respect, um, dignity, um, excellence, integrity, and quality, and productivity, and uh, a lot of humor is weaved in. Um, you know, uh, we emphasize dialogue over argument, where we're building on each other's ideas instead of contrasting my idea against yours and stuff like that. And it's uh, and so you don't see it with the thirty-year people anymore or you don't see it that much and they have a hard time describing it to you why they stayed here all those years. They just like their job and they like the people you work with. Where you do see it the most is when you bring on a new person that's been here for like three months mm-hmm. and I probably already don't even hardly know their name yet by that time and they walk up and they go, oh my God, just thank you, thank you, thank you. People are so <laughs> nice here and they listen to my ideas and they da 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 and they actually care. I have a supervisor that actually cares and, you know, and they start telling you stories like, you know, and I'm just like, wow thanks I appreciate that and you know and it's not uncommon that uh, those are we're hiring a lot of new people these days and I get that a lot you know they can because yeah. they've come from somewhere else that wasn't out tech and apparently had some sort of either average or below average 
culture. Yeah. And uh, they come in here and they're just like, wow, I didn't know a company could be <laughs> like this. And we spend a lot of time nurturing. I mean, I, and I don't look at necessarily manufacturing companies. I kind of look like, you know, what would like a Disney's culture be like or what a Amazon or Google and that cool movie that they had, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I've visited some of those companies, but you can't learn about their culture in a day. It's more just kind of envisioning kind of what kind of ideas must they be doing to kind of create that kind of culture and just thinking on that level about, you know, who you want to be, the personality of your organization, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw some of that when we were walking around the, the plant, especially the humor. I think you were talking to somebody about building a toilet for your treehouse, if I'm <laughs> recalling that right. So yeah, <laughs> definitely yeah. some humor injected well, in there. Well, it's the, uh, <laughs> it's the uh, uh, we, we, we make the airplane toilet. We, take the, we make the toilet laboratory that goes in the 737 and 737 <laughs> Max, but it's also handy in a treehouse if you need if you need one. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so while we're uh, on this train of thought and envisioning different scenarios for ourselves, let's say you're sitting down with the mayor of Liberty Lake, Steve Peterson, and he asks, Mike, I, I want to make sure we take care of you guys in 2019 and beyond. What's the one thing I can do to give you guys a boost? Well, I'm good friends with Steve and would like to say he's doing a really good job. You know, he just, he does a really good job. I uh, like to cop out on you. I mean, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more proactive focus on the tech industry. Uh, and I'm not saying that they don't have a focus on it because you mm-hmm. can kind of look around the Liberty Lake business cart and see that they've done pretty well. But there's still a lot of open open lots and um, individual businesses, uh, you know, if we, if we had some economic development for Liberty Lake more more so than we currently do. I think it could sure. be good. But uh, that said, uh, I give them a solid, solid A for, yeah. for uh, time served. They've done a good job. Yeah. He has, yeah. What, what are the biggest benefits of being a manufacturing company based in Liberty Lake and even just this greater Spokane region in general? Man, well, your stone's throw from... Uh, the uh, uh, Puget Sound, Seattle, I-5 corridor, Northern California. And in some cases, we can get to Seattle faster from here than you can get from Seattle to Seattle. (laughs) 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 And so, you know, the distance is like not a barrier at all like you think it Mm -hmm. might be because, I mean, it's a 45-minute plane ride and two-hour car ride, you know, if you're over there. Um, You know, we've got... uh, um, the benefits of a you know mid-sized progressive city uh, where you can still drive five minutes and be in 100% nature and have trees eating your wife's roses out of the back garden, which you know, doesn't go over very well. But or have, have deer, deer. I mean, eating eating your roses and all your plants and stuff, and porcupines eating the apples off your trees. And five minutes later, I can be in a downtown tech center. So. Definitely. That's, I agree with you. So I've got an article here in front of us. It's from the Harvard Business Review, and it talks about what we often get wrong about automation. And there's a lot of conversation over the last few years about the fear of automation replacing jobs or, you know, eliminating jobs, that kind of thing, versus enhancing or supplementing what what humans can do in the manufacturing process. So... 
I don't, I don't know what your take is on, I mean, you guys have a lot of automation going on. How has that enhanced the human element of it versus taking away jobs? Well, in our case, um, it's a, like particularly in machining, for example, um, it just makes for higher paying jobs where you might have uh, one machinist in the past that was capable of running machine X and Y, uh, but now the machines are all kind of hybrid, so he's got to learn how to program and run, essentially kind of four machines all built into one machine combined. Mm-hmm. And so they need to know so much more CAD programming and lathes, mills, five, you know, it's just become very, very complicated with some of these new highly automated packages. So their skill level, instead of, they're dealing with one factor or three axes they're dealing with 11 axes trying to coordinate that and uh, it's a lot harder to get your mind around mm-hmm. uh, you know thinking in 3d in three dimensions is hard enough thinking 11 dimensions or axes you know and so you got to pay that person more because they need to know a heck of a lot more and they that they master that thing they're going to be significantly harder to replace as well right. because not everybody can afford that kind of automation uh, and that's one example um, not everything works out that cleanly where I can say you know by putting in automation we've allowed these folks to earn more money by being more valuable to the company because they mm-hmm. can do harder things um, and so on that one I don't necessarily know that there's a good answer other than kind of back to the old survival of the fittest you know, in some cases, uh, you know, some I've struggled in the past here and there with the ramifications of implementing this people automation in this area. We do our best to relocate them to different job functions or work within the automation. Instead of doing three things, they can do eight or ten things now. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it's, it's difficult, but, you know, you kind of always got to go back to um, the needs of the many outweighed the needs of the few, like Spock said. <laughs> and uh, if you don't keep up with automation, then we're all going to lose our jobs. Right. And uh, it's unfortunate the, that few will lose their jobs as a result of automation, but a few is better than all. Mm-hmm. And if, uh, if the rest of the world's doing it, you just don't have a choice. Right. Well, and I kind of like what this article highlights in here a lot is that it frees up people to focus on kind of higher skilled jobs within the manufacturing plant, like you were touching on. Yeah. And it takes away some of those kind of manual labor, labor intensive processes so that they can focus on the next level. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So, I mean, you can, every, I think every person can kind of relate to it in today's uh, digitized world from the standpoint of, you know, 15 years ago, you, uh, as a manager, if you didn't have a secretary or something like that, you know, you had to be a skilled typist and word processor, <laughs> you know, and you had to uh, uh, keep a Rolodex and that was part of your job. And I had to keep a calendar and carry it along with me. And I had to organize meetings on pieces of paper and kind of send them via fax or whatever. And, uh, you know, you were kind of less deficient because uh, you had to kind of do all those tasks individually. And now we got these smartphones 
uh, and everybody can relate. I got everything in the palm of my hands, but your life has become significantly more complex. It didn't really save me a whole bunch of time. It just allows me to do 500 things instead of 100. Yeah. Uh, and so I ought to be earning more for that because I go <laughs> home at the end of the day with a little bit bigger headache because juggling 500 things is harder than 100. You know, and uh, so the automation made me more valuable, but I, I took a hit for it because... I'm managing significantly more factors than I would have been 15 years ago. Right. Um, Definitely. So I, I, I just about everybody that's got a smartphone that, that's, you know, 15 or 20 years old can relate to that. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if they're using it for work. And it's like, I, I actually was one of the early adopters. I got the Palm Pilot first oh, version. Yeah. And then they came out with the BlackBerry. And I was like, yeah. And I was like the only <laughs> one that had one. I'm like, bam. Look at this. I can do my calendar right here. I got my email. Bam, bam, bam. Ooh. I don't even know if text had been invented yet. I don't even remember. But And I was like super highly efficient for about two years compared to everybody else. And then yeah. everybody else started getting one and Apple came in with it. And now I'm just like everybody else. I got a headache because I'm juggling 500 things instead of 100 things. And, but I did have a significant competitive advantage for a good two to three year period while everybody else was still adopting. Yeah. Well, now the Palm Pilot's in, in museums around the nation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> that one, uh, it was almost there, but the, the Blackberry was highly functional. In fact, I actually oh, yeah, missed yeah. the... Uh, the little rollerball. Well, it had the, the hard keys. I I, 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 oh, I, yeah. I could type so fast on those little hard keys. And the, <laughs> I still, after all these years, can't do the touch screen fast. I'm not fast on a touch screen. Oh, that's funny. So last little segment of the show here, I, and this is a segment where we take questions from previous guests and ask them to you. So this is a couple of questions from Russ Vaughan from Vaughan Timbers up in Colville, Washington. And first question from Russ is, what makes Altec better than its competitors operating in the same space? Our people, our family, our culture, our friendliness environment, great place to work. Not only bragger, but we literally, not on occasion, but on a regular basis have people quit their jobs and come here for less money and sometimes not a little less money sometimes a lot less money uh, because of the work environment that we have and I'm not saying because we have pretty machines I'm saying because we have great mm -hmm. people that play well with others from top to bottom and that's awesome whatever they were coming from wasn't uh, wasn't doing it for them mm -hmm. and they were willing to walk away for less money to come to a place where they feel valued and can get along with everybody because we weeded out all the folks that don't play well with others sure. and a bunch of other stuff. Well, that's, a, <laughs> you know, that's a great testament. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. It just takes one fo one person in the wrong spot that doesn't play well with others to ruin it for everybody, and we, we keep a pretty good eye on that. <laughs> keep the wolves out of the hen house. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Question number two from Russ is uh, what are the – what are common things that all manufacturers could do to improve their businesses? It's hard to generalize, uh, but uh, I guess I would say all businesses of any sort, manufacturing, service, government, is uh, you know the old continuous improvement thing. There's nothing wrong with being where you're at today. 
because that's where you're at. But you darn better be darn well better be better next year than you were this year. Mm-hmm. And the year after that, you'd be better than the previous year again. Right. From wherever the ball lies, nobody can say, you know, you're, the ball lies where it does today, but I have to advance that ball from where it is today forward continuously. Or right. eventually will disappear. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike, this has been an amazing episode. It's been super fun having you on as a guest to chat about Mind's Eye and about Altec. Uh, I know our listeners will learn a lot from what you had to say, and I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thanks very much, James. You're the man. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Irons in the Fire podcast, a show which explores the many facets of manufacturing in aerospace here in the Inland Empire. Also, please remember to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play by searching Irons in the Fire. And if you like the show, give us a five-star rating. More details and information about the show can be found on my webpage, ironsinthefirepodcast.com. Again, ironsinthefirepodcast.com. And be sure to spread the word. Let's continue to forge the future of manufacturing and put more irons in the fire. Until next time, thanks for listening.